morning, everyone. Today is Good Friday. But truth be told, I think most people prefer Easter Sunday. We prefer to attend wedding than to attend funeral. Maybe not you. As awful as it is, I think I have a strong suspicion that most people say that Good Friday means more to them than Easter. I mean, they have nothing against Easter. It is just that Good Friday, as awful as it is, is more recognizable to them because they know suffering, they know death, they experience pain, cancer, betrayal. They know they are, they are around this wreckage and there is some sort of comfort in the fact that God knows it too. So today is Good Friday and we gather to look at the wreckage of the cross. Or should I say we are gathering to look at the wreckage on the cross, the man that is hanging there. Only that this is no stranger. This is our own flesh and blood. It is God's own flesh and blood. The one that we pray to. The one who has power to heal. The one who has the ability to cast out demons. The one who has the power to raise people from the dead. Dying himself now as helpless as a kitten. All he can do is to raise, to hold up his head. Everything else is tacked down now. His feet nailed firmly in place. He cannot wipe the blood from his temple. He cannot cover his own nakedness. The rescuer unrescued. The saviour unsaved. What can it mean that he should die this way? And most people's fondest hope died with him on these days 2,000 years ago. That the all-powerful God will protect those who believe him, but it's not going to happen. That those who find favour with God will be spared fear, pain, loss, abandonment. But that was not meant to be. That is what we wish. It is even what we pray for. But on Good Friday, we learn that it is simply not true. Here is God's chosen one, God's beloved, as forsaken as an heretic. Friends gone, future gone, God gone. For all he can tell, probably no, one, no more than three hours' breath left in him. All of us have heard plenty about Christ's physical suffering on the cross. The scorch, the nails, the thorns, the spear. 
But recently, I read of someone adding to the list the splinters that must have gorged his raw back as he slid down the timber when it was raised. Raw wounds. This is excruciating stuff. And did you know the word excruciating in Latin simply means out of the cross. The word excruciating, the adjective that describes pain that is beyond description, excruciating pain. It comes from the original word, means out of the cross. But as painful as it is that Christ has to suffer physically, I don't think this is the worst that Jesus has to suffer. As deforming as it can be, physical pain alone is not the agony of the cross. There is also the betrayer of intimate friends who slept when they were needed, who, who slept when they needed most, who sold him to his enemies, who denied that they had ever known him. And Max Lucado has a beautiful words to describe betrayer. It's a weapon found only in the hands of one of one you love. Your enemy has no such tool. For only a friend can betray. Betrayer is mutiny, is violation of a trust, an inside job. It is more than rejection. Rejection opens a wound, but betrayer pours the salt in it. It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you in the cold, but betrayer closes the door. It is more than mockery. Mockery plunges the knife, but betrayer twists it. It is more than insult. An insult attacks your pride, but betrayer breaks your heart. These are not nails in the hands. These are nails in the heart. But as painful as betrayal could cause, and still, I believe they are not the worst that Jesus suffered. The worst that Jesus had to suffer, I believe, is the disturbing silence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God who does not act. The God who is not there. The God who by just a single word could have made all the pain bearable. But who did not speak. Not so Jesus could hear anyway. And the only voice at the end was his own. Screaming his last unanswered questions at the sky. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, some people love silence, but others detest it. Some are not happy unless there is noise. And then there are others who long for solitude and silence. There are some who talk non-stop, and there are others who hardly say a word. But there are times 
when all of us, when we long to hear a word from someone we love, and we are met with silence, it can be devastating. You know, all his life, Jesus had acted and spoken like someone in on God's will and was full of God's power. Twice, remember twice, that was confirmed by a voice from heaven once in his baptism. Remember when he was baptized? When he came out of the water, what happened? There was a voice that came from heaven and God said, you are my son. You are my beloved. And in you, I am well pleased. And then again on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John was with him. And then again, the pronouncement said, this is my son, but beloved, listen to him. Twice. But why not one more time on the last day? Isn't it more important at the final moment of your life? Some comforting words. What a difference it would have made. A confirmation like that, a blessing on the destitute moment at hand. But it did not come and Jesus died alone, having pronounced himself abandoned by God. You know, here is an interesting irony. People often complain about the things that the Lord said, like loves your enemies, forgive as you have been forgiven, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. These admittedly, they are hard sayings. And yet, as disturbing as these commands can sometimes be, they are not as upsetting to us as God's silence is. Some scholars say that God is mute. God is on mute. Just like Peter then mute me sometimes when I'm done. God is on mute. And one rabbi said that it is a sacred messiness of life. Our Old Testament scholar Bernhard Anderson described God's apparent absence as the eclipse of God. Eli Weiser was a Romanian-born American writer, Jew, professor, political activist, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and Holocaust survivor. In 1999, when Bill Clinton was the president, he was invited to give a speech before the new dawn of the new millennium. And he titled his speech, The Peril of Indifference. The impending danger of indifference. You can listen to his whole speech. And in part, this is what he says. He says, some of us, as a Jew, he says, some of us felt that to be abandoned by humanity then was not the ultimate. It's okay to be abandoned by humanity. That nobody cares about us anymore. It's okay, he said. This is not so bad. We felt that to be abandoned by God was worse than to be punished by Him. I would rather that God punish me than to remain silent. That's what he's trying to say. Better to have an unjust God than an indifferent one. 
For us, he said, to be ignored by God was a harsher punishment than to be a victim of his anger. Man can live far from God, not outside God. God is wherever we are, even in suffering, even in suffering. And in 1960, he went on to write a book called Night. It became an incredible book, Night, recounting his experience in the Holocaust. And he recounts his horrific experience in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. He said, after watching so many of his people being butchered by the Nazi, he wondered where God was. And in reflecting back on it, all he wrote was this. For the first time, he said, I felt revolt rise up in me. Why should I bless his name? The eternal Lord of the universe, the all-powerful and terrible, was silent. What had I to thank him for? Eli Weiser knows the silence of God can be most disturbing. And I think the silence of God is something all of us are very familiar with. Terrorists bombed the World Trade Center on September 11, almost 20 years ago. And God is in many aspects, respects, silent. Children are abused. Babies are murdered in the womb, and God is silent. Relatives get sick, suffered from cancer, and died. You prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Nothing happened. Well, this is what we have to reckon with, isn't it? God's silence. Not just then, but also now. The same kind of silence that follows our own pleas to God to do something, protect us, rescue us, give us a way out, heal us, provide for us, and we are met with silence. You know, Easter is hard to believe, but Good Friday, Good Friday is not hard to believe. If you open your ears and your eyes and even listen to your own heart, you will discover we live in the land at the foot of the cross. But so was Jesus Christ that we must never ever forget. Even though he was the second person of the Holy Trinity, he was made man in human nature, Jesus Christ. He knew the silence of God that every human being knows in his or her earthly life. And the Bible indicates that on Good Friday, as he hung on the cross dying for our sins, he experienced such intense distress and emptiness that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father turned his back because in his absolute holiness, he could not look at the accumulated ugliness of all the world's sins that were piled on his son. His holiness recoils from even the smallest sin, let alone the world's sin, accumulated place on the sun. When God looked down and saw His Son bearing the sin of the world, He didn't see His Son. He saw sin that He was bearing. And in that awful moment, 
the majesty turned his back. He was repulsed by the raw sewage of sin splattered all over the sun. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To be forsaken means to be abandoned, to be deserted, to be left behind, and even to be disowned. This was more than just that Jesus felt forsaken. He was literally and actually abandoned by the Almighty. This cry shouted out to the heavens is met with a holy silence. Let me in one, two sentences tell you why God remains silent. If we paint a rosy picture of God always showing up ahead of the emergency rescue crew, we will shortchange the biblical record. And that is why people often complain, why I pray no answer? Because it's not magic. It's prayer. It's not magic. We know that God, we know that with God, every word He speaks is for a purpose. But let me tell you, every moment of silence is equally purposeful. Can I repeat that again? Every word that God speaks is for a purpose. And every moment of silence is equally purposeful. God's silence on that faithful Friday morning is essential. God's silence is necessary. God's silence is purposeful. God forsook Jesus on that fateful Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. so that God will never have to forsake us. God forsook Jesus so that we will never be forsaken. When Jesus uttered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus utter that cry? I tell you why. So that you and I would never have to utter it. He forsake Jesus so that you and I would not be forsaken. A way has been opened for us to come to Him. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus does not come giving explanation. He comes giving himself. German author Jongen Mopman 
wrote a book called The Crucified God. He quotes another survivor of Auschwitz describing how the SS hanged two Jewish men and a youth in front of the whole camp. The man died quickly, but it took the youth longer to die. One Jew forced to watch asked the question, where is God? Where is he? Later on, as the youth still hung in torment in the noose, the man called again, where is God now? And I heard a voice in myself, he said, answered, where is he? He is here. He is hanging there on the gallows. Does that mean that Jesus has no regard for injustice? No. He cares about persecution. He cares about hunger. He cares about prejudice. And he knows what it is like to be punished for something he didn't do. He knows the meaning of the phrase is just not right. For it wasn't right that people spit into the eyes that had wept for them. It wasn't right that soldiers ripped chunk of flesh out of the back of their guard. It wasn't right that spike pierced the hands that formed the earth. And it wasn't right that the Son of God was forced to hear the silence of God on that awful Friday morning. It wasn't right, but it happened. And it happened because of us. Let me close with this. There was, there was a story about a certain medieval monk. And he announced that he would be preaching his Sunday topic next Sunday evening will be on the love of God. And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered in the dark. And in the darkness of the altar, the monk lighted a candle. And he carried the candle to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated, he illumined the crown of thorns. He just placed the candle up to the crown of thorns and then illuminated shadow of the crown of thorns. And then he moved to the two wounded hands. And then the shadow come through, the light illuminated. And then he moved to the marks of the spear wound. And for a few moments was in silence. And in the hush that fell, he blew out the candle. And then he just walked out of the cathedral because there was nothing else to say. So my friend, on Good Friday, I leave you with this thought. There's nothing else to say other than look at the cross. Look at the cross. And that tells you that he loves you. Father, thank you for remaining silence 
on that faithful Friday afternoon. Because you remain silent, therefore we are able to speak to you. You forsook Jesus so that you will never have to forsake us. Jesus uttered the sentence, Why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to utter it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord. We are eternally grateful for your silence. 